Nobody listen. There's nothing else I can do. You can get back in there and get back on that telephone, tell him exactly who walked out of here last night, and tell him exactly where he's going. Probably going. I'm wasting my time. Huh? Sam Haddonfield is 150 miles away from here now. Now, for God's sakes, he can't drive a car. He was doing very well last night. Okay, let's go. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, it's a movie that one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 190 and it's Halloween this week. So we watched Halloween from 1978 and joining me to talk about it because he had never seen it before, the host of Coverville, the co-host of TMS, it's Brian Ibbett. Brian, how are you? Hello, I'm I'm uh, secretly slowly coming out of the shadows uh, in the background where you don't see me until it's too late. Oh no! All right, so Shatner <laughs> <laughs> so you you let mention uh, one day that you had never seen any of the Halloween movies, which my I radar know. picked up on. Um, I but- know. Yeah, as soon as I think it's like you don't even have to be listening to the podcast that no. I'm saying that on for like your spider sense to tingle and say, "Wait a minute, that's the bat signal." I'm, I'm going to mix my superhero metaphors here, <laughs> but it's like the bat signal for you, where it's like somebody out there is saying they don't haven't seen a popular movie that everybody else has seen. What's that? I'm being yeah. called. Um, exactly. Uh- yeah. So I'm curious how, because I know you're a movie guy. You you do movie <laughs> podcasts. You 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 like a lot of movies. How is it you yeah. just didn't even accidentally see this in the last 44 years? Right. It's okay. There's there's a few factors here. Number one, um, uh, I feel like I've seen enough clips from it. Well, let me rephrase that. I feel like I had seen enough clips from it to to say, oh, I pretty much get the gist of what Halloween is. Okay, no problem there. Um, two, um, in the late seventies and even into the eighties with Friday the 13th, um, uh, not so much the nightmare on Elm street stuff, uh, cause that I had no problem convincing friends to go see, but there were, there were no friends of mine who wanted to go see Halloween, Friday the 13th, any of those movies. I convinced them, I talked them into nightmare on Elm street just because there was a comedy factor in there that I could kind of you know, get them, get them behind. But, um, nobody like even my uncle George, who was the guy that I saw every movie with at that time, mm-hmm. he, you know, he and I went the night before Star Wars was generally released. Cause he had won tickets from a radio station to see the sneak <laughs> preview of Star Wars, May 24th. And so we saw that and, and every movie, like, you know, if there was any sort of big movie, he was the guy who would take me to see it. And, um, uh, he didn't care for slasher movies. Again, a surprise because he, as a kid, was really into monster movies and made me watch all of the universal monster movies, um, all of the like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 70s kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, but slashers, specifically slasher movies, just not his bag. And so because of that became not my bag or not my not really available to me. Okay. All right. So so I can see that. So it's 44 years after the movie's released. There's been <laughs> there's a whole yeah. choose your own adventure of timelines for for the Halloween franchise, uh which Is there really. I was wondering about that. I was wondering about the the lore and the the path through the uh the Michael Myers uh uh Uber. You know, if is it just basically yeah. Okay. 
we'll 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 dive into that a little bit because I can kind of steer you in the in the paths of which which of the tracks to take that are worth watching. Okay, um, good because I I do um, I do want to continue watching these. I guess one of your first questions is going to be, did I like it? Yeah, but I'll, I'll wait till you ask it. <laughs> well, so as a as a first time watch, what did you think of it? Yeah. Did, did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Um, there was a lot more to it than I expected based on all the clips I'd seen. Um, this is, it's a absolutely surprised me that the movie begins with a, an origin story because typically my experience with slasher movies is maybe you get, you know, the, the origin as part of a spoken thing at the end, like, Oh no, it was his mother who did this to him or, right. you know, whatever, or is his mother who's doing the killings all along <laughs> or, or, or anything like that. But, um, for the movie to begin with the the quote unquote origin of Mike Myers, at least his first kill, his sister, um, uh, that you know was kind of a a, a surprise. Um, I I thought that there would be a lot more um, interaction between he and Jamie Lee Curtis throughout the film and not mm-hmm. just near the end of the film. That's really what the last third of the film is him and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I don't know what I expected with, um, um, with, with the friends, but I mean, come on, once you, once you meet the promiscuous friend, you know, she's <laughs> going to die. <laughs> yeah. And so funny thing there real quick was uh carpenter has said in, in, and Deborah Hill, who was the producer and co-wrote it with him had said like there was no morality tale at play here there wasn't like the promiscuous people die first really? because of that okay. it was literally they like they had envisioned it as no they're just not paying attention to their surroundings because they're too busy having sex <laughs> whereas Jamie Lee Curtis's character is more repressed and like pays attention more because she's by herself a lot so i just, just thought that was convenient yeah, yeah <laughs> it just fit into that so well so um yeah yeah that's that's uh it's an interesting movie. I love the opening. So one of the things I love about this movie is it kicks off right with like the opening credits are mm-hmm. super simple. It's just the slow push in on a, on a jack-o'-lantern while they play the, the music. And so st- yeah. starting off with that music and setting the tone for kind of what you're going to get for the next hour and a half is great. And then that opening, which in, ironically is the last thing that they shot while making the movie was the opening sequence. Um, mm. Because that house they were using was an actual abandoned yeah. house. And okay. so they needed to like, keep it looking abandoned yep. for the filming and then clean it up for the, <laughs> for the intro basically. Yeah. And that intro. So that intro is great. Yeah. It's a tracking shot. There's a couple of cuts. If you're paying attention, you can kind of notice where they are when he picks the mask up okay. um, mm-hmm. and puts it over the, and it go, the mask goes over the POV. That's a cut there. Turns and then there's just the eye holes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a technical limitation. They the the film uh, the actual magazine for film only allowed them about four minutes of continuous filming. Uh, that's all the film it could okay. hold. So they had to work those cuts in. But they they had like the entire crew overnight. They did something like twenty takes of that, and it was just like people hanging off of balconies with lights and like scrambling to get everything done and then they would finish up and they would go back through and they'd reset everything and run it again over and over and over. And they were using a Panaglide um, Steadicam. They were one of the first movies to use that. And so it was heavy and they had their first camera person and they did like four or five takes and they were worn out. So then they had the director of photography running through with it and they wore him out. Like, 
Which isn't surprising because part of that tracking shot is going up the stairs. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, carrying one of those big Steadicam setups, the rigs, is has got to be like not just heavy, but also a uh, like an OSHA violation or some sort of danger. Yeah. <laughs> To, yeah, uh, to the to the cameraman. Wow, they're heavy, they're counterweighted, and you have to move in a certain way to be as smooth as possible too. So, like trying to go up and down stairs is not mm. easy um, with mm -hmm. one of those either. So that that opening shot, what it does for me too is it establishes it establishes so much story, but it also gives you a visual uh, of the movie and the fact that oh, this isn't just a cheap horror movie. This is going to mm -hmm. be something that looks really good, which. Yeah. It is a cheap horror movie. They made this movie for $325,000. Wow. And it's unheard of these days. And like 70,000 of that was that Panaglide from Panavision, the camera <laughs> rig, because Carpenter yeah. wanted he wanted Panavision cameras for the 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio uh of the mm. film and he wanted uh that Panaglide, they were one of the first ones to use it to have those POV shots and those handhelds look better. And it was totally worth the investment. Like they, they spent so much of their budget on that, but it works because it makes the rest of the movie just look better. It doesn't yeah. look like a shoestring budget, even though it absolutely was. No, it's, it's got, um, you know, kind of that exorcist, um, uh, invasion of the body snatches and bring it up again, but that kind of look to it where it is a, you know, a, a professionally done film, but it's, you know, but it's a slasher, and 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 the slasher movies that that came before it certainly had that kind of cheap Donzo feel to them, and uh, this one really didn't have that, which was great. Yeah, and even movies that came out like, um, if you've ever seen, uh, I don't know if you have or not, the Slumber Party Massacre is one that's contemporary to this. <laughs> not only have I seen it, for some reason somebody gave me the poster, which oh. sat on my like was which hung on my dorm room wall. Uh, for the entirety of the time I lived in dorms oh, that's for great. some reason. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Probably kept me from having a lot of, bringing a lot of, uh, women back to the, uh, to the yeah. to dorm or probably kept them from staying. I think is probably <laughs> that might send the wrong message. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, hey, come on back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's a movie that was made roughly the same time. I think it was like a year or two later for about the same budget. And the, mm. and while I also had a great time and enjoyed the slumber party massacre. Like the, the, the feel of the two movies is so different in terms of like the production value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just shows like yeah. what you can, how you can stretch a budget and what you can do. Um, which is great because horror movies are tr traditionally very cheap to make. Uh, because a lot of yeah. times you have young up and coming unknown actors, so you don't have to pay them a whole lot. Um, in this case, I think Donald Pleasance made the most on the movie and he was paid $25,000 to do it. Wow. Um, Again, you know, just a ridiculously uh, cheap salary for, you know, for an actor. Even even then, I'm guessing, was a pretty uh, uh, cheap salary. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, because originally uh, Carpenter wanted either Peter Cushing or um, Christopher Lee for the role. Mm -hmm. And Cushing's mm -hmm. agent turned it down and Lee turned it down because he wasn't going to get paid enough. Um, and I guess he's <laughs> he went on to say in interviews later on that he kind of regretted doing that. Um, yeah, because this is I mean, Dr. Loomis would totally be a Christopher Lee role. I could see him doing I could see either oh, one of them sure. doing it um, for sure. But, you know, uh, it, and, and Donald Pleasant's um, uh, 
you know, it, it's kind of funny talking about this because I just watched a movie that I was going to use for recommendals called um, The Legacy. I'll have the DVD case down here near me, but it was a uh, Sam Elliott and Catherine Ross film that had um, Roger Daltrey and basically takes place in a in a mansion where people are getting killed by, you know, we don't know what, but turns out it's this, um, it's the head, head uh, wait staff person who's kind of a nun who can turn into a cat and uh hmm. <laughs> yeah but what's cool cool uh cool about that and i can't remember the actor's name but it's got this actor who a lot of people recognize from rocky Horror picture show as the narrator the guy with no neck um oh, okay. he played uh blofeld in one of the um james bond movies as did uh loomis uh, uh donald pleasance yeah which is where i know him best from is is the you only live twice um uh blofeld yep yeah he uh and he had quite a career i guess it was a western that carpenter had seen previously prior to this movie that made him want to end up going with donald pleasance and i love this bit of trivia where um he's on he's on the set making Halloween. Mm-hmm. He's easily the most experienced person in in filmmaking on this set because the crew, not only were all the actors young, all of this crew were just young kids because it was Carpenter and a bunch of his friends and like relatives and stuff that were all fresh out of film school. And um, he went to Carpenter saying he didn't understand the script and I don't know why I'm in this movie. I don't know what, who my character is. The only reason I'm doing this movie is because I have alimony to pay. And my daughter is in England in a rock and roll group. And she said that the music you did for Assault on Precinct 13 was cool. <laughs> and, oh, that's great. Like, I can completely see him doing that. Because Donald Pleasance was a pretty, like, affable and funny guy. Um, even though really, like, okay. you see him in this or you see him in Bond and he just doesn't seem like that at all. But Does not no. Apparently, yeah. he was like he was just this real big-hearted guy. He really like took to the the crew of this after afterwards, and like he ended up working with Carpenter again a few times. Um, just last week, uh, we were talking about um, Prince of Darkness, and Donald Pleasance was in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just cool to find like here's Carpenter, who's in his mid twenties, fresh out of film school, has done like two movies before this, none of neither of which were were very big. And he gets this guy, and he ends up being a really nice guy, and they develop a decent relationship. So I thought that was kind of, kind of neat to read about over the years. For sure, because uh, this yeah. was a—I mean, this was a movie that like, n- there's no earthly reason it should have been the hit that it was, because mm-hmm. Carpenter had done two movies prior to this: Dark Star and Assault on Precinct 13. So he had done a sci-fi movie, and then this like action mm-hmm. movie kind of remake of Rio Bravo. Okay. So and no no indication that he was going to be doing a horror movie from that trajectory. No, at none all. at all. Um and yeah. then and he uh his demands to make it the so the producer of it was a guy named Erwin Yablons and he was a uh like a film distributor. Um he had started off being a uh, there's a great episode of the movies that made us on Netflix about Halloween. Um and I oh, I, I okay. highly recommend it. Because it has. Yeah, now that I've seen this, I probably skipped over it because I hadn't seen uh, Halloween. So I probably skipped over that one when yeah. uh, when I was watching those. Um, it's great because it's got interviews from all sorts of people. And one of them is Erwin Yablons. And he had started off as like a truck loader back in his days at Warner Brothers and started doing film distribution in like the 60s. But 
Okay. His wife was like, you like making movies so much. Why don't you make one of your own? And so he decided, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And they end up making Halloween. And when Carpenter, when he was talking to Carpenter, Carpenter's like, all right, I want $10,000 to make it, but I want to direct, write, produce, and score it. And Yablons was like, look, if you can do it for $300,000, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and, wow. Wow. And and so that's that's how it came about. And they made this movie for three hundred and twenty five thousand was the final budget, and it made U.S. over forty seven million dollars at the box office. It's amazing! Like it's Jeez. just crazy, and launched the career of Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This was is I think we get the introducing Jamie Lee Curtis in the opening credits. Is that do I, do yep. I remember that correctly, or was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was her first uh, film, like major film role, was this movie. Um, and part of it was, uh, obviously her being the, the daughter of Janet Lee, Yablons was like, Oh, definitely. We got to try and cast pedigree. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, uh, the funny thing was like PJ souls who played her friend, um, Linda, Mm -hmm. uh, has said in interviews that like those two of them are the opposite. Like Jamie Lee's much more the free spirited one, and she's like the homebody. Really? So oh, for interesting. Them to play, yeah, because they both play opposite characters. Than, yeah, than they are. Huh. Um, and you got the three girls. So it's Jamie Lee Curtis, it's PJ Souls, and Annie. Um, Annie is played by uh, the actually oh, Nancy Keys or Keys. Yeah, Keys. Yeah, she was Nancy Loomis at the time. She actually was uh, the the wife of the production designer. Oh, interesting. Okay. So right. she helped in the costume department too, according to uh, him. Um, and then PJ Souls, I knew from uh, Carrie, one of yes. the one of the girls that uh, uh, teases the crap out of Carrie and turns her into what she is. But I'd forgotten that she was also one of the uh, love interests in Stripes, the Bill Murray and oh, wow. uh, Harold Ramis. Um, I did. one of the one of the women they bring back to. Uh... <laughs> I for- I haven't seen Stripes in so long. I completely forgot she was in that. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah, and the three of them, I think, are, like, they only have a few scenes that they're all together, but their chemistry was great. It really, really felt are. like yeah, three friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lee being the only one that was actually in high school age at the time, because I think she was, like, <laughs> no. 18. Um, <coughs> it's so funny seeing people who look like they're in their late 20s, <laughs> early 30s, playing uh, teenagers, playing high schoolers, but... Um, I'm surprised that that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was uh, high school age because I would have guessed that she would have been in her early twenties, mid twenties. Yeah, but and I guess not. Uh, some of that is like fashion styles too. Like the style of clothing sure. that they're wearing definitely changes like how you perceive them. Um, and yeah. The, yeah, the late seventies fashions for high school kids was very different from even when you know probably you were in high school. So like for sure different yeah. than when I was and. So it, it it's odd. I, I also have it's so it's always so weird for me to see Jamie Lee Curtis with long hair. Yeah, just saw an episode of Love Boat uh, from the late seventies where she had really long hair, like past shoulder length. Oh wow, uh, long hair, and it just for a second it, I was trying to figure out is that that is that really Jamie Lee Curtis? Like you know the the face shape is so. Mm-hmm. Indistinct, or, uh, unique, and and uh, recognizable, but there's still that little no with long hair. No, that can't be Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, she she looks looks great with long hair, short hair. Yeah, yeah, and and she really pulls off this role. I think well, she apparently didn't think she was at first. Like 
Because she got a call from John Carpenter after like the first night or two of shooting. And she was worried she was getting fired. But no, he was just like, no, you've done great. But I think she was just incredibly nervous at being kind of her first film role. But she's great. She, I think, I think really the performances throughout the movie are pretty good overall because they feel, they feel believable um, as the characters that they're playing. You know, these kind of small town Midwest kids that have never experienced anything like this before. And so, like, reactions kind of made sense. Some of it, I mean, admittedly, Annie's death scene in the car, for instance, is very over the top. Um, <laughs> it is, yes. So, did you yeah. notice, when you were watching it, did it register to you how there's, like, no blood in the movie? Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. I guess, I mean, you see blood on, on his sister, the first uh, the first mm-hmm. victim, but there's not, there's no splatter. Like, yeah. it's just basically smeared um, on the the actors now was there no none of that later on through the movie that blows my mind because I didn't even notice the fact that it wasn't there no and it's funny mm. you you kind of project that on uh, in your own head sure. as you're watching it so that was a Erwin yeah. uh, Yablons wanted to make a horror film but he wanted to make a horror film without blood because for him it was always scarier what you would have in your mind and so kind sure. of that radio drama theater of the mind thing he wanted to uh, the way he put it is he wanted no blood and he wanted it to be a movie where you would make everyone look to the right and then scare them from the left. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, th- yeah, you see early versions of that. Yeah, it's the, it's the trope that has been used a million times since, but it's the, I'm going to look under the bed and then I'm going to stand up and the, the thing that I'm looking for will be right behind me or yep. I'll open the closet, close the closet and behind the closet door as you close it, the, yep. the monsters there or the, the slashers there. But seeing it, you know, seeing the kind of genesis of all of that is is fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it's really cool, and the the bloodless part of it, I think, is interesting because yeah. as the franchise has gone on, it's gotten a lot bloodier and a lot more gory, um, sure. as all horror movies do. But it was uh, a point in this one, and I think it works to the movie's favor because you never get taken out of a moment from like an effect that either looks like if you watch. Say Friday the Thirteenth, the original one. Now, yeah, those effects sure. for the time and Tom Savini, uh, what he worked on, are incredible. But you watch them mm-hmm. now, and there are moments where you're like, okay, that's obviously a like a prosthetic piece over her neck, and then it gets cut, and you don't have any right. of that. And it's like it, the whole movie has to be built around the atmosphere. Yeah, and and when you don't have that, you don't spend the time trying to figure out how they do it. You you yeah. just go with it right it totally makes sense is that that seems like a hitchcockian thing right because i mean the um um psycho obviously had the blood the the chocolate syrup that swirls down the drain but i'm trying to remember like frenzy which was which was a serial killer film i don't remember a lot of blood i guess it's because that one was a, a necktie murder and not a slasher yeah uh for the serial killer but but it does feel like the uh uh it does feel like hitchcock probably you know wanted the same kind of things a very blood-free horror movie yeah and and uh, might have been an influence i'm sure it was because i know carpenter was definitely a fan of hitchcock um and you know obviously um doing a a suspenseful horror film like that i and and he was on board he's like yeah we can do it with no blood no no problem he didn't probably also because he wasn't a horror film director like he didn't think of himself as that 
Um, but what it does is it also it forces them to uh, to really build the atmosphere. And the first, and it's an hour and a half long, and the that first hour is just setting a scene and building this narrative. And right. I've talked to some people like, oh, the first Halloween's boring, which I get. I can understand that if you see it. But when you when you really sit down and kind of pay attention to what's going on, the boring is just them building everything so that you actually care about these characters that end up dying. Exactly. And, and I think suspense gets um, forgotten about like as a, as a horror movie um, requirement because so many just fall back on the jump scares, the gore, but there's this, um, you know, this thing that you've got to do where the audience knows what's about to happen you know they can see the, the the killer across the street jamie lee curtis hasn't seen him yet or or maybe sees him out of the corner of her eye but hasn't looked over to see him yet and that's the great suspense it's knowing it's the audience knowing knowing what's going to happen or suspecting what's going to happen as opposed mm-hmm. to both the audience and the character getting surprised at the same time by it and, and i love i love a good suspense you know yeah, and that that feeling it it also is that slow building feeling of dread as you're watching the movie yes, where it's like you exactly. know you're you're watching this movie and you know people are going to start dying. Like it's a slasher yeah. movie. Yeah. Even again, yeah. like you you hadn't seen it but you know it's going to happen so now you're waiting for that and it's just building and building and building. And that music. John Carpenter's music yeah. throughout the whole thing is so it's a minimalist score and it's so effective. Uh like yeah it's as iconic as the the exorcist theme that the mm-hmm. uh, the mike goldfield um because it is it's very very simple um it, it, but it but it just uses this small number of notes just to kind of build the the tension the suspense jaws kind of the same thing john yep. williams jaws where it's you know staying within two or three notes but using the sharps and flats as opposed to going up full notes it just yeah. adds such a level of of danger and terror it's great. it does and you know he did the the theme was um in five four time so it's a it's an odd time signature okay. which feels a little weird too um yeah and you know he does carpenter would score a lot of his own movies and he uh i talked about this last week with prince of darkness he do, would do a lot of his scores he would do as like almost improving where he would take the movie and be watching it in front of his keyboards and just kind of noodle around and figure out the music as he's watching the scenes. And huh. I love that because it his style of scores are always like this bed below what's going on in the scene as opposed to like John Williams scores really tell you what the scene is and what's going on. Yeah. And it's like Carpenter yeah. does almost the inverse of that. He's like, the scene is going on and I'm just going to punch that up. I'm just going to kind of add to it. Right. Yeah. It, it, instead of telegraphing the style of the scene you're seeing, it's really just complimenting it. Um, it's just providing the, the, the tension for it basically. Yeah. And then uh, the, the wonderful use of don't fear the reaper, the one license. <laughs> I really the- appreciate it. Yes, I really did appreciate hearing that. It's like, oh, wow, okay. This would have been one of the earliest movie uses of that song because it had only come out like five years before. Yeah. And they're they're yeah. playing that while they're in the car with Michael Myers driving behind them, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. great. Yeah, um, again, the, the audience sees them and the audience is aware of them, but nobody else is. That's, that's such a great 
Yeah. My favorite use of that in this movie is right after that scene. So after the girls have pulled up and talked to uh, Sheriff Brackett, and then they drive away, and um, Loomis walks up. And at the beginning, right before that scene started, you saw Michael Myers kind of, he pulled the car off to the side of the road. And then as Loomis is walking up and talking to him, you see the car come up in the background and sit at the corner. And Loomis is like looking one way, looking the other, and the car drives yeah. off. And I'm just like, oh, I love, I love that moment because he's right there. He's he's close yeah. enough you could throw a rock and hit him, and you have no yeah. clue. And he's Such not even a great cat mouth. Oh, yeah. and it's and he's not even subtle. He's driving around in that mask, mm-hmm. and even <laughs> turns around and looks, yeah. you know, as he goes by with the mask. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's almost like he wants to be caught. Oh, yeah, so good. the the cat and mouse of that is is so good. Um, it is. So the mask, you know, the, you, you sort of know the story of the mask or you know where it kind of came from? I, all I know is that it's a William Shatner, like it's a Captain Kirk mask, right? Yeah. So they were looking at masks and according to trivia stuff that I've read, they went to um, Don Post Productions who did masks okay. for Hollywood and initially went to them with, hey, we want to make a mask, but we can't really pay for one. We'll give you points in the movie. And mm-hmm. Don Post was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Cause they, they would apparently get that offer a lot. Um, okay. so they ended up, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace went out and he bought a couple of masks. They had this clown mask of some sort. Um, I can't remember. They said the name of it, but, um, they tried that out. It looked creepy and it was weird, but they, he also bought a captain Kirk mask and they took that. He, he removed the eyebrows and the sideburns. He trimmed those mm-hmm. off took some white appliance paint and painted the whole mask white and then darkened in the hair, painted that down and widened out the eye holes. And they ended up going with that because it was much creepier because it looked so emotionless on the character because it's just this blank white face. And they only had one of them for the entire movie. (laughs) So it's, it's funny because um, just recently for Gore, we, we covered Halloween two. And they okay. used the same mask in that, but it was all beat to hell and it was slightly yellowed because throughout the entire run of the first movie, the guy that was playing him kept, you know, would have it in his back pocket or something else. And then Deborah Hill took it home for a couple of years and like kept it under her bed and she was a heavy smoker. And so it started to yellow from that, like the paint was oh, chipping great. off of it. Yeah. Um, and now it's, I mean, it's such an iconic mask now and to think they bought a two dollar captain kirk mask and some spray paint and they made that some appliance paint and just did that um yeah the 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 clips the trailers that i've seen for things like halloween kills and halloween ends look like the mask has even been melted or burnt or something like that which i assume take place in some of the other films or is that just the the weathering and the the chipping of the paint so those are those are definitely from like uh story beats um, gotcha. in one of the movies okay. he, cause it's a slasher series. So the killer sure. has been killed sure. many, many times over of course, in yes. varying ways. Um, and the mask quality can also help to inform you how good the movie is going to be because some of the later sequels have really <laughs> poor versions of the mask. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. There's right. some that just looks awful. Um, and you, you have to wonder like, why would you even, like why it's not that difficult a mask to recreate. How did you mess it up this bad? Like they'll have different colored hair or whatever. And part of that too, is it's just so many different people have played Michael Myers over the years. Um, He, but in this movie, he was played by like five different people at some point or another. Um, 
some of them were like obviously the kid version and the adult version of course so there was the kid version there was um the adult version that's wearing the mask and walking around most of the time that is uh nick castle who um, oh okay he went on to be a director himself actually he directed uh the last starfighter is a movie okay that you would have seen that he done he's done so i always like to tell people that michael myers directed uh the last starfighter (laughs) um he was a friend of john carpenter's from usc and he was just, he's like, okay. hey, he's hes shooting a movie. It's like two miles from my house. I'm just going to go hang out because he had gone to film school. He was getting ready to work on, I think, one of his first directorial uh, pictures soon. So he wanted to go and just kind of demystify the experience and just be on a set and see a movie getting made uh, on a pro level instead of a student level. And Carpenter was like, well, you want to just wear the mask and like all you got to do is walk from here to there. You know, and and that's how he ended up being. And so there's like there's great behind the scenes photos of wow. him. There's a really famous one where it's it's Nick Castle and he's got the mask kind of resting on top of his head, and he's he's got a can of Dr Pepper. Like the mask is drinking the Dr Pepper. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and he he ended up uh in this movie, and then in the three recent ones, they brought him back um to be in them, uh either as the okay. shape which is how the character is credited. It was written in the script was called the shape. Really? Okay. Yeah. They, they very rarely use the name Michael Myers in the script because the shape was him in the mask and it was makes sense. Yeah. So So when they referred to Michael Myers, it would be without the mask. Like, you know, like you see when the mask comes off uh, in this movie. Okay. And that was a different actor. That wasn't Nick Castle. So the one shot where the mask comes off, they used a different guy that had, um, I guess like a more of a baby face and they wanted that kind of juxtaposition of the innocence from this crazy person. So they, they had a different actor do that. But then Tommy Lee Wallace, the production designer um, did was in the mask a couple of times for shots where they had to, he had to break through like fake doors. Um, Uh And Nick Castle has a great moment where he says like, yeah, Tommy was like, let me do this scene because if I mess up, it's on me and not on you. And we only have one of these doors. (laughs) So, sure. So sure. he did that, um, and uh, and then I think Deborah Hill actually stood in the mask in one of the long shots because nobody was on set that day that could that was uh, able to do it, and she had brought the mask with her, and so she threw on the coveralls and the mask, and there you go. Yeah, you don't need right exactly. You know, there's no spoken lines. They can be. She's probably the one like way off behind the the car, standing next to the house or something like one mm-hmm. of those shots. That's so, that's, that's great. The, um, I think I prefer my, my, uh, my killers silent, like, uh, Jason, like, uh, uh, Michael Myers. I think Leatherface doesn't, I guess he does utter some lines, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, and that may be why, you know, why the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are so much more, not mainstream but more accessible to people who are who get scared easily because robert england you know delivering lines especially comedic lines you know playing off of the things that he's doing mm-hmm. um grounds the character more as opposed to this mindless object that is just coming towards you to kill you without you know any sort of of you know, spending time trying to come up with the best one liner as he does yeah. it yeah, and uh, I mean, for one, the levity will help to break some of that tension. It adds sure. a camp factor to it. But I think, two, relatable is probably the best way to put that. You 
because yeah. I know Carpenter didn't want you to be able to relate to Michael Myers at all. And yeah. And that idea and giving of, him a voice would have, would have ruined that. Yeah. 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 And, and that idea of like, there's no reasoning with this. It's, it is like just a force of nature that you can't stop. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about It's just, you run or you die. Mm-hmm. So I can see that. Um, Oh, what was one of my notes was, Oh, this, the motion at the end where he sits up, uh, in the background. Oh yeah. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm wondering if that inspired yeah. WWE's the undertaker or not. Like I have to feel like it did. Cause that was one of his signature moves when he would, okay. he would do that exact same sit up in the middle of the ring. Um, yeah. but it's, it's such a cool it's, moment because it's just like, yeah, it, it's such an unnatural motion to make. It is. It's almost robotic. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like he's being pulled up because it's so quick. And yeah. then the head turns like, like he's being raised by some force, by some, some unknown entity. And then given the awareness as he turns his head, like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm back to life here. Yeah. And I, oh, I have read at some point where John Carpenter said in an interview that, um, some of the basis of Michael Myers in terms of his movement was Yul Brynner's character in uh, Westworld. Oh, sure. Okay. And that robotic nature. But then I also yeah. will see stuff where it's like Nick Castle would say, would go to him like, well, what's, you know, trying to figure out the character as he's playing it. And Carpenter would be like, your motivation is to walk from that mark to that mark. So just do that. And he kind of came up with like, so like the head tilt was, I think, a Nick Castle thing, sort of almost like a dog kind of examining, yeah. you know, the dead bodies. Like he, do, like he doesn't fully grasp what's going on around him. And some of that, right. I think, makes sense given that he's been in an institution for 15 years and he hasn't really been around people. Um, and I love, too, that, like, this whole movie, you don't know anything about Michael other than he killed his sister yeah. at six years old and he's been institutionalized since then. And that makes him scary. Sure. It does. Yeah, exactly. Because it's... it's uh, uh, again, the more information you find out about him would probably humanize him and give him something relatable to the audience. And the audience, you know, for the most part, hasn't didn't uh, kill their sister when they grew up and <laughs> didn't spend most of their life, 15 years, 17, 16 years in an institution between that time and now. Yeah. So, you know, if you show him... Uh, as a teenager driving a car with his buddies who eventually would steer him into the wrong, you know, the wrong path, then it, it humanizes him too much and gives him something the audience can relate to, which you don't want. Okay. So that, that makes for a really good segue into the uh, timelines of Halloween and the choose your oh, yeah. adventures uh, that we have. So sure, there are, this has been kind of retconned and redone over the years. So this movie came out, it was a huge hit, not initially, like it, it got released. So no studio wanted to pick it up. And Erwin okay. um, Yablons ended up going back to his booking uh, background, and he debuted the film in one city. He debuted it in Kansas City in 1978. And his hope was, all right, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll do this in a small town. And uh, if it does well, then I can use that and roll it into the next town. And if it doesn't do well, then I just ignore it and try to bury that and move on. And okay. it did well. Like it was the first day was modest, but then by day two, it was double and it just kept going and it was word of mouth. And so then from there, he took it to Chicago and it blew up um, and it just became a huge thing. So and then also the brilliance of naming it Halloween meant that the next year they were able to do more theatrical run for it by the following Halloween because they could just tie it into that 
um, that thing. But Carpenter never wanted to make like a franchise out of Halloween in the, in the sense of like continuing that story. He felt, I've told the story, there's no more story to tell, um, which mm-hmm. he famously said, yeah, shows that I was wrong. But um, <laughs> they kind of forced him to write a sequel. Like he was under contract. And so he wrote the sequel Halloween 2. And, um, but he didn't direct it. He wanted to do something more along the lines of like an anthology series. He wanted to do more movies based around the holiday of Halloween and that time of year. Not around Michael Myers. Yeah. And so then they made Halloween three season of the witch, which was, um, that was not, has nothing to do with Michael Myers, nothing to do with Laurie Strode. It's a completely different story. Um, and it bombed. Nobody wanted to see it because they'd already made two movies now with Michael Myers and this movie mm-hmm. came out. So it was another, I think it was five years before the next movie hit and they made Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers. So, okay. and then they ended up doing two more movies in that. Uh, and they, they call them uh, fans call them the thorn cult trilogy because there's a whole thing by the sixth movie that has to do with a, uh, a cult that are trying to that use Michael Myers as some sort of an avatar to to kill family members or it it's very <laughs> convoluted because they didn't even know what they were okay. doing like there's an there's a character in I think it's the fourth movie we see this character called the man in black and he's just wearing all black black hat and all this you never see his face and then they tried to expand on that character in the sequel but that character had no point there was nothing to expand on they literally just created a, a mysterious character in the previous movie. So then they had to like backfill and make all of this convoluted story. So it gets okay. really bad. Um, they have, they also, uh, the four, five and six deal with Lori's daughter. Um, mm-hmm. but Lori is not in them at all. She's killed in a car accident off screen before the fourth movie because Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis wasn't going to come back. Yeah, good way to explain why why Jamie Lee Curtis isn't there. Was the um was her daughter played by somebody who went on to be famous for something else, or was it? Uh, uh, the daughter was played by um, shoot, I'm trying to remember her name now because I've seen her in a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, uh, IMDb. I can pull it up actually. Yeah. But she was um she played the daughter for two movies. And then uh, has gone on to have a decent career. Danielle Harris, that's her name. Um, Danielle Harris, okay. She's been in, uh, she went on to do oh, like yeah. Hatchet um, she was in. And she's she's done quite a bit. Um, but she played young uh, Jamie Lloyd was her name. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so those first six movies are kind of their own timeline. Uh, well, five of the six of them and then Season of the Witch is just the outlier off on its own. On its own, yeah. But then, in 1998, they made Halloween H2O, uh, also known as 20 Years Later. And that brought back Jamie Lee Curtis. And it was made as a direct sequel to Halloween 2. So it ignored 4, 5, and 6. She doesn't have a daughter anymore. Now she has a son, uh, played by Josh Hartnett, who is a high school senior. They're living in California um, and she's changed her name, moved him to California, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and Michael Myers comes back, and they made that, and that was supposed to once again kind of end the series. They didn't want to do yeah, any more, sure. so it has a uh, it it ends. Well, then it was popular enough. They made a sequel to it 
called Halloween Resurrection a few years later. <laughs> okay. So now you've got your second timeline, which is Halloween 1, 2, H2O, and Resurrection. Okay. Rob Zombie comes along a few years later and wants to make his own version of Halloween. Hmm. Same story, but set in its own. So it has nothing, it's not connected to any of the Jamie Lee Curtis stuff, but it's still Laurie Strode, Michael Myers, hmm. um, all of that. He does. Yeah, but it picks up. Oh, does it does it continue the story or does it just reboot the story with Michael Myers gets out of the institution, finds Laurie Strode, pursues her and reboots. Yep, it's a, it's a totally okay. new version. All right. Gotcha. And he makes Halloween and then kind of actually similarly, he didn't really want to do a sequel, but they wanted a sequel because it was popular enough. So he's like, mm-hmm. "Fine, if I do a sequel, I'm making my own movie." And he went way out and gets kind of crazy with like the the weirdness uh, and I mean, Rob Zombie's okay. always doing weird stuff anyway, but this is like yeah. Rob Zombie getting to just do whatever he wants, and it's sure. very weird. Um, it also has the the one problem of Michael Myers speaks in the second movie. Oh, really? Okay. It's only like one line, I think, but it's still enough. <laughs> also, my problems with the, with the Rob Zombie Halloweens actually echo a lot of what you said earlier, which is like backstory. It spends the yeah. first like yeah. 40 minutes of the movie with Michael as a kid and you learn about his upbringing and his uh, it's a Rob Zombie movie. So, of course, it's all a bunch of, uh, you know, white trash people, basically, is sure. the nicest sure. way I can put it. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. my problem with it was it's like it takes away all the mystery, mystery and the mystique of Michael Myers just being this crazy evil person because now he had this horrible upbringing and, you know, he was treated bad by his stepdad and all this kind of stuff. Wow. Um, so those movies exist on their own. You can watch them or not, and, but. And I noticed that Daniel Harris appears as a completely different character in the Rob Zombie Halloween. Yes. yes. So not as, not as Laurie Strode's daughter, but as Annie Brackett. <laughs> yeah, so she's uh, she's the friend of Laurie Strode in that one because it's oh, all the same Andy characters. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He Jeez. zombies version has all the same characters, um, and it's gotcha. largely a similar so that's story. Reboot. Yeah. 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 Okay. And like, there's parts of his movies I think like uh, casting um, uh, uh, Brad Dourif as Sheriff Brackett mm. I thought was great because I just love Brad Dourif and everything, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, it just there's there's something missing in those movies, um, mm-hmm. and it's that there's too much backstory. But then 2018 rolls around. Now we're at the 40th anniversary of the original Halloween, <laughs> and okay. and David Gordon Green uh, decides that he wants to make his own sequel. It's produced by Blumhouse, um, and it is a direct sequel to the first movie only. Oh, okay. So not even the second one. Not, not even, even the, the second one, one was considered to be lore up until now wow yep. okay so this this timeline branches off after the first movie and takes place 40 years later where um michael's been back in an institution back in prison that whole time and Lori has basically been a uh trauma survivor and a prepper and she's uh they show her like <laughs> at her house where you know she's out shooting guns and and like preparing for the day that he gets out and comes back like she's okay. just All right. spent her entire life paranoid that that's going to happen. Like every time he has a parole hearing, she sits outside the courthouse waiting just in case mm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they made kills and ends. And so 
So that's your what fourth, <laughs> third or fourth timeline? Fourth timeline. I mean, um, I guess fourth if you count uh, season of the witches being its own little weird offshoot baby. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, what I recommend this movie obviously is this is one of my favorite horror movies. Um, this is one that I mm. watch pretty much yearly, right around this time. Um, mm, okay. It's that it's that blueprint for a slasher movie. It's all the tropes of a slasher movie. It's where a lot of those tropes came from. Um, right. And I just, I love the pacing, the suspense, uh, all of that. After this one, it's kind of can get a little hit and miss on the, on the, um, sequels. Halloween two is also, I think pretty good. It ups the gore a little bit. There's a little more blood. Um, it continues. It's actually a continuation of this night. Uh, so Halloween two is the exact same night, um, and it's sort of the fallout of all that. So it's got, uh, you know, the same sheriff comes back. Um, it's got a lot yeah. of the same actors in it um, or characters. And then, uh, you know, new characters are introduced. A lot of it takes place in a hospital where Lori is recovering from everything that's happened. Um, but it also brought about uh, the, the twist in that movie that became lore and continued on for the majority of the Halloween sequels, um, which you probably are aware of. I don't know if you were or not the connection between Michael and Lori. Oh, um, I'm not. I knew there was one, but I don't remember what the what the connection was. So maybe, ooh, I, I mean, I won't. I won't spoil ahead, it for you. It. Okay, uh, okay. I'll let right. I'll let you watch it. But the connection is made in Halloween two, and that okay. connection doesn't. The, and so because of that, the, the new trilogy of movies doesn't have that same connection between the two of them. Sure. Because it doesn't take that, uh, that movie into account. Right, it veers off from the first yep. movie. So let's say that I decide, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go right in and, and watch another Halloween movie. My, my inclination is to go to the 2018 Halloween I and think... continue on with kills and ends. I think that the 2018 Halloween is probably my favorite of the sequels. Although okay. it's so weird because kills works mm-hmm. well, but ends feels almost like it needs to be its own movie. And like it works having just seen ends for me, it works better as a standalone than it does kind of in, mm. in continuation of the story, just based on some choices that they made. But I do think that they're, okay. they're all really good. Um, I do think Halloween two is is worth watching. I would um, I would avoid the, the Halloween two. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would um, the the Rob Zombie ones. I would put those at the bottom of your list. Sure, because it's you've already seen the original Halloween, and it's the same story, just with the Rob Zombie flavor all over it. Um, yeah, and also they made a weird casting decision of making Michael Myers he's he's played by uh, an ex pro wrestler named Tyler Maine he was um actually Ty- <laughs> Tyler Sabretooth. yeah he was Sabretooth so that guy who's like yeah. 6 yeah. foot 9 playing Mike Myers <laughs> right. and he's, okay. play- yeah. he's playing Michael Myers and it's just it's weird it's so weird to have him as this giant mute and i don't know there's something weird about that because for me Michael Myers should be like an average looking guy he shouldn't look mm-hmm. Yeah. threatening he just never stops so uh, exactly the you know he's threatening enough as a silent almost unstoppable dude with a machete 
then he would be as you know like all right now he has to be big or he has to be you know yeah speaking or whatever it's like no this is like he's he's threatening enough the the original formula yeah <laughs> michael classic is just fine exactly and he was never port like He's he's like five ten in this movie, whereas Jason, yeah, when yeah. he gets introduced in in the Friday the Thirteenth series, he's already portrayed as like a bigger, larger than life person, and he's played by Kane Hodder. Eventually, he's like six foot four, it's so huge. yeah, so that makes sense. But Michael Myers never needed to be that. So like, I would skip the Rob Zombie ones. Watch Season of the Witch, by the way, because I think it's a really. Okay. It's a cool kind of just self-contained story around Halloween, and it deals with. Um, uh, they have like a piece of Stonehenge that ends up that's being used for magical powers, and it's got Dan O'Harely in it uh, as oh, um, okay, and he's he's awesome, and it's bonkers. Tom Atkins is the main character in it, and it's got the most earworm song you will ever hear uh, as a commercial jingle for these masks that are being made. Um, okay, it's crazy. It's cheesy '80s horror, but it's it's good. I I really enjoy it. Like okay. that's honestly my second favorite Halloween movie is Halloween Three. Um, cool. So, and then you can eventually get to the Thorn Cult trilogy if you want, but they're kind of they fall into the tropes uh, a little too hard and a little too much of the. If you like campy or cheesier horror movies, they're they're definitely worth a watch at some point. But it's kind of there's a little too much of the, oh, how did he come back from that one? Because each one of them, they're like, oh, no, he's sure. he's definitely dead this time. And like, right. but he survived and here's how. And like, sure. they all have a recap at the beginning of them, of the previous movie. Um, they, okay. Like they all do like that. Halloween. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. for me, I would skip, um, I would skip those. I would skip Rob Zombie, go to the 2018 ones, but also watch okay. Halloween 2. I think Halloween 2. I might. I might actually watch Halloween to the 1981 one next, just because if it picks up where this one left off, it feels like, all right, let's, let's complete that story mm-hmm. or at least watch the next, you know, the, the same night story. And then my brain can say, all right, forget everything you just saw in that movie. Let's watch Halloween. And that one you yeah. know, goes off in a different, the, the 2018 Halloween Yep. Uh, that's, that's how I would do it. And I think that you'll get okay. the most enjoyment out of that and it won't get too convoluted. And then as you get to stuff, like if you eventually go to Halloween kills or Halloween ends, you're, mm-hmm. you're sort of those three movies kind of can all exist in their own bubble in a way. Um, okay. Right. but they're still, they're all coming from this first movie, but you definitely, it was worth it to watch this one first so that you can kind of see like the, what it can be and how good, those movie, this type of movie can be. And then, you know, sequels typically have diminishing returns often uh, anyway, because it's hard to recapture. And the thing that I like is that the David Gordon Green movies don't try to just be this movie again. Mm -hmm. They try to be their own movie set in the same world. And that's the smart thing to do because you can't really ever recapture what Carpenter and them did in this. Um, And that just kind of shoestring, you know, 20 somethings making a movie for no money. Like, and, and just some of the stuff in, in the 78 Halloween that they had to do to make, cause they shot it in Southern California in the spring. So <laughs> it's not even, yeah, it doesn't it, feel very cold. doesn't feel <laughs> no. And, and in fact, in sure. some shots, if you pay attention, you can see palm trees way off in the background. Oh no, really? Okay. Like very, just, just off in the background. Um, all the leaves that are on the ground, 
were fake. They had to mm-hmm. buy leaves and paint them and then spread them around. And they would go through after they would finish a scene and collect them all to move them to the next scene. <laughs> and if you look, if you pay, again, if you're paying attention, like all the trees are full of leaves, but there's all these leaves on the ground too. So it's like, again, it's, it's stuff that you don't even think about while you're watching because you're so engrossed in what they were doing. Um, sure. even the pumpkins, they, they had a hell of a time getting pumpkins and, uh, Oh, right. Cause they'd be completely out of season. Yeah. Um, so if you notice when Tommy falls on his, when he's getting picked on at school, um, it yeah. kind of is already broken open because they didn't have another one to use. So they just had to like turn it and hold it in a different direction to do that shot again. So just the, the, the cost saving stuff and the things they had to do to make it work, um, to make this movie and and it's amazing and it, it was such a huge hit that the the guy who um footed the bill for it uh, mustafa akkad he didn't want to make a, uh, a movie like this but um you know he he agreed to put up three hundred thousand dollars for it and the movie made hmm. worldwide it was 70 million at the box office and so he was like wow. cool i'm gonna keep making more of them so his name is all over everything uh, from from there forward, it's all Akkad. He produced, he executive produced every one of them until he died in 2005, and then his son took over. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm noticing that um, Halloween 2, the 1981 version, is streaming on Peacock, So, yep. which is where Halloween ends and probably Halloween kills are. I'm kind of surprised the, the 2018 Halloween, I would think that because of the popularity of kills and ends that they'd be streaming that one too but apparently not that one is um it's on fubo and uh uh fx now but not on peacock yeah my guess is probably something in a right cycle they they go through all sorts of stuff because i i just saw where a bunch of was it nightmare on elm street i think is all leaving Mm -hmm. hbo max at the end of november yes yeah and the the article I read was like to make room for the slate of of holiday movies. I'm like, make room. They're not they're not eating up shelf <laughs> right. space. Like no, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's funny. Oh, another another fun thing. Uh, when if you do go back and watch this movie again, the scene in the car at the beginning with Loomis and uh, the nurse, mm-hmm. who by yeah. the way, that nurse, the actress that played her, came back in Halloween uh, 2018 as the oh, same really? character they brought her back um okay and uh and halloween h2o now that i think about it she was in that too wow okay. um that scene number one uh donald pleasance had drank like two bottles of wine before they started shooting that <laughs> really okay so he's just sloshed while they're doing that but wow. when uh when michael jumps up on top of the car and um she backs up to that window and then you see the window get broken yeah, it gets smashed. Yeah. If you pay attention next time, you can see the wrench they had taped to the guy's hand. That oh, they just, really? They, okay. they taped a wrench to his hand and then painted it over kind of flesh-colored so when he hit the the glass, it would break. And if you sure. look, you that, can actually see it. They just <laughs> like they just couldn't cover it up enough, and I love that. That's funny. It's so so many things like that. It's it's like now when I watch it, I just think about all those leaves and how somebody had to they had to spray paint all of those, and then somebody had to go around and collect them all into a box and like and all move, right, move right. them to the next scene. Yeah. Um, and then w- this time around, I was reading because I always like to go through like trivia stuff and see what's out there. And one of the things I read, and this one, I had to call this out. This is my uh, my version of the film sack scrutiny. 
Okay. Uh, it was uh, another tip-off that this film was not shot in Illinois, where the story takes place is that Tommy's school has outdoor porticos instead of indoor hallways, yeah. a design feature only practical in warm states. It is only practical in warm states. However, I will call that one out because my high school had outdoor uh, porticles, and I live further north than Hedden, than the fictional Haddonfield. Really? Illinois. Wow. My okay. high school was designed by somebody who designed schools in California. And so <laughs> when it was built, it so, was like that. It was after I graduated, they've since redone the whole school and turned it into one large building with everything enclosed. But when I went to school wow. there, middle of winter, it would be negative five degrees outside and blowing snow, and you'd have to walk between buildings to get to class. From one class to another, you're actually going outside. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have any of that in Colorado. Like, obviously, yeah. Um, everything is one entire enclosed school. You go, you bounce around between classes there. But... Um, yeah, so I'd always see these movies growing up, these teenage movies, and even going into the 80s and 90s, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless, where the students are out in this this common area between classes, going outside and then into another class. And I never understood, like, what kind of school is that? Yeah. Yep. So it's I like just a minimum security prison. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like, no, my school was exactly like that. But my school was designed by somebody who had no clue what they were doing for this area. Golly. So you'd have to bundle up to go between classes. Oh, oh yeah. What a pain in the butt. Oh, it was yeah. terrible. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I mean, oh, also the body count for this. Um, oh, yeah. Just four or three, right? So total, it is uh, Linda and Bob. Um, right. which is PJ Souls and her boyfriend. Uh, it is oh, Annie. Bob, yes, of course. Yeah. She's got Linda, Bob, Annie, uh, Judith uh, Myers. My, my yep. Yep. And then um, the unnamed driver of the truck that uh, he kills to take his coveralls that we just see the oh, body. Sure. We just see him laying in the, in the, in the ditch. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The, um, by the way, uh, Tina, uh, my wife, big fan of uh, real housewives. Oh yeah. And so, we get uh, Kyle Richards, who is uh, uh, one of the prominent featured characters, I should say, on <laughs> on uh, Real Housewives. But the sister of Kim Richards, who I had such a crush on in the 70s and 80s from her uh, Witch Mountain movies. Mm. That's right. I forgot about she that. It was the, the blonde version of, of Kim Richards. They looked identical, except for one was a blonde, one was a brunette. And... Uh, <laughs> These days, they couldn't look more dissimilar. Yeah. Um, what was that? There was another thing. Oh, when... <laughs> so the moment where uh, where Annie and Lori ride up and they, they see her dad and they pull up to the hardware oh, yeah. store, which yes. timing-wise doesn't make any sense why he would be there for the break-in because Michael had already taken stuff and was wearing right. the mask earlier. But yes. throw that aside, like... There's no way he didn't know they were smoking weed when she rolled down that window. <laughs> right. Oh, no kidding. I mean, that would have been, that should just have been a cloud that emanated from the car as soon as they rolled the window down. And then, you know, she, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is talking right to him and you think yep. you'd be like, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> I love that moment. I just chuckle every yeah. time. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, did you have a favorite, uh, like, is there a favorite moment or shot or anything that, that really stuck with you on this, on this watching or 100% it's the scene where, um, where Jamie Lee Curtis, I think has stabbed him. Let's see. It's before she runs into the closet and, okay. and 
stabs him with the coat hanger and then comes back. But she's basically, it's a scene where she's sitting there um, on the floor on the left side, lower left side of the screen and this darkness on the right side. And you just slowly, it's like, you're, you're wondering, am I seeing his face there? And then, Oh, I'm definitely seeing his face there. And it's so perfectly shot Mm -hmm. to where uh, Michael Myers mask is just, you know, barely it's like it's like in a video game when you first put the disc or put the start the game up and it says adjust your brightness yes. to where you can barely see this logo that's what it is it's like yep. <laughs> just the darkness where you can barely see uh, michael myers mask it, it's so uh, good and it so was good. it was a simple it was just a light dimmer they would just have a dimmer on that and it was just enough to illuminate the mask and it, it's, it's so effective perfect yeah. it's so good yeah. i love that one and i really like just for the simplicity of it, because the beginning of the movie is so many of these moments where it's just Michael staring at her, like from across the street when she's in class yeah. and she looks away and looks back and the car is gone. But my favorite one is the hedge where he's standing in front of the hedge yes, and yeah. he just steps behind it. And then when they get up there, he's gone because you know, yeah. like Michael Myers doesn't run ever. No, uh-uh. no, but in the back of my head, I always picture him stepping behind that and then just taking off in a dead sprint. <laughs> And but right, I mean, you'd have it, to to get so far away they couldn't see him. <laughs> part of it is because back in back in the days when I was um, doing sketch comedy on on uh, our local public access channel, we did a sketch where I played uh, Michael Myers style silent killer, and we we remade okay. that shot, but with like an alleyway. So I was standing next to a building, and then I would step behind it, and we brought the camera up and looked around the corner. So once I stepped out of frame. I had to sprint like halfway down this alley and dive behind a dumpster so you couldn't see me. So part of it is that. But, yes. um, yeah, those are the those are the ones that stick with me. And then, of course, the end of the movie is that open-ended moment where Loomis goes out and looks and the body's gone. Sure. And they shot two versions yeah. of that. One with uh, Loomis getting looking like really scared and, and freaked out by the fact that the body's gone. And then the other one was supposedly Donald Pleasance was like, yeah, no, I don't, I think that he wouldn't, he would just have a look on his face like, well, I kind of knew this was going to happen. And they went with that and it, it's so good. And then all those, it's so much more effective. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and to have that shot followed up by just the music playing and they start showing all the different images of empty areas mm-hmm. and the breathing, which was a cool story. And in that movies that made us, they talk about it they didn't have a lot of extra footage because there was such a small shot, uh, shoot. So they didn't have a bunch of establishing shots. So it was actually the editor had happened to keep all of the off cuts that would be like before slate and stuff. Okay. When they before were, the they, actors were on. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the, in, in the shot or anything. And so they ended up huh. like piecing those together and using those for that final. And they were making it up. So at, and it, it's such a great way to end the movie. Yeah. And it just, it, it leaves it, what I like is that it leaves it open-ended, but you, if you ended things there and never made another sequel with those characters, like now you're just wondering what, what's going on, what's happening. And I like that a lot. So I, that's, it's all those different elements are what make this like my favorite of the slasher movies. Franchise wise, the Halloween franchise is middle of the road. Cause I think when you take into account all of the movies, something like nightmare on Elm street, I feel like it's a better overall franchise because mm-hmm. it has more consistently good movies. Um, but this, 
this one in particular is so good that it makes me enjoy uh, the rest of the franchise that much more. So I, I just really love this. And I'm glad Very that you cool. enjoyed it. I'm glad that you finally got to see I enjoyed it. it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and I'm glad I I'm glad I finally did get around to seeing it, not just writing off saying, Well, I feel like I've seen enough of it to know what the what the deal is, because there was a lot more to it than than the clips and all the, the pieces and parts that I've seen. So I'm excited to uh excited to continue on with it. And like I said, I think first step will be um Halloween two from nineteen eighty one. Excellent. I, I would look yeah. forward to hearing you uh what you think of that one. Maybe we'll get a recommendal at some point. There you go. Yep, you just might. Actually, it's really good. It's really good <laughs> use for recommendals, honestly. <laughs> really, really is. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for being here this week. This is fun. Um, oh, so for the a pleasure. for the half dozen people out there that don't know your what you work <laughs> on, um, let people know sure. where they can find the the stuff that you do. Yeah, basically um, uh, online I'm known as uh, Coverville, or you can find me under Coverville um, on all the social platforms. But the uh, the show that is that easily has the most traction and that I'm known for uh, for the most is The Morning Stream, which is uh, Frog Pants Studios production, frogpants.com slash TMS. And it's a daily uh, comedy program that is like a radio station morning zoo without all the obnoxious parts to it. So... No phony phone calls or honking horns and stuff like that. And no no traffic and weather on the 10s either. Oh, excellent. Yeah, the TMS is great. Coverville is a ton of fun. Um, I love that cool. show. Cool. Oh, thank you. So Thanks. thank you for being here. I did, uh, I did have one clip I wanted to play. Um, I'm Please just gonna, do. I'm just going to play this, and then uh, and you can enjoy it. Totally. 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 Totally, 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 totally. That is like 60% of the dialogue PJ Souls says in the movie is the word totally. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. There was only one I didn't <laughs> capture and it was right after uh, her and Bob have sex because you, she says totally one more time, but it, it was, there was other like rustling noises and you just couldn't hear it. It wasn't worth it. Gotcha. Um, so apparently, yeah, the, the Valley, uh, you know, the Los Angeles Valley is also in Illinois. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I had to play that one. Um, because that's, that's too good. So thank you once again. Uh, now this show, if you enjoy this and you want to watch it live and be like our chat room tonight's been very uh, active bombats, Claire Gax in there, ace cat, Tondagosa. Um, you can do that Sunday nights, 8 PM Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. I record it live every week. Put it out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Um, if you want to support the show and get that podcast version early, you can do that at patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S for as little as $1 an episode. Um, there are also things such as um, I'm going to start doing monthly um, patron movie nights for catch-up. So if you have maybe an episode of the show that you've skipped because you haven't seen the movie before, we'll watch the movie, and then you can listen to the episode, that kind of stuff. So... Well, I thought you basically were giving out ketchup if they watched the movie. Okay. If, if you show up, you get a Send single pack packet of ketchup. of ketchup. Yes. Uh, so that is um, that that is stuff that you can do there. And then, uh, like I uh, the show is available anywhere you get podcasts. But because I titled it, wait, you haven't seen dot, 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 question mark, it's easiest to go to tvstravis.com, and then you can subscribe uh, from there. So once again, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, I have had oh, a my, great my time. Pleasure. And, uh, Thank you, Travis, for having me. Yeah, and like like I always like to say, uh, enjoy your movies, and it's spooky season, but 
still be excellent to each other. reason she babysits is to have a place oh, shit i have a place for that diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>